Heard a story shared by uh, Christine Kane. She was talking about the Olympics, the summer games, track and field. And she, she, she brought this up and kind of put these together, so I'm going to share that today with where we're going. Um, in the year 2000, the, the Summer Olympics, the, the 4x100 track and field, um, the, the women's race, there was four races for it. And by, on paper, each of these races individually were, were one through four in, in, in the world in their individual times. But on paper alone, they should have crushed the 4x1 relay. They should have won without any issues. They should have... They should have been champions and gotten the gold medal, and it was pretty much in the bag. In fact, they were talking, most of the announcers were talking about who would be the closest second. It was what the talk was. It was kind of just assumed that they were going to be the ones that won that race. And, and when they went and they were running in a relay, you have to pass a baton. And as they were getting ready to pass the baton, it was sloppy. And what ended up happening is, is because of the sloppy exchange there, these, these people that on paper should have won it, they were the best that they, was out there, took third that year. Fast forward four more years and, and another 4x100 relay. And again, the women's team is, is off the chart. There's just, there's, there's no one comes, comes close to competing with them. They, by all accounts, should win the race. And, and right before, the day before, one of the runners had done the long jump and her legs were fatigued. And so when it came time to pass the baton, the, the runner looked back and she wasn't there. And so they exited out of the, the, the exchange zone and were disqualified. And, and, and out of the race again. And then in 2008, they're, they're on paper by t the fastest team again. There's no one else that can compete. And in 2008, it comes to this, the exchange and they drop it. They fumble it and drop it, disqualified. Year after year in the Olympics, this team on paper looked perfect. On paper, individually, they had everything they needed on their own part. They did their part individually. But when it came time to pass, they dropped. 2012, again, the same thing. They're all in place, and everyone's supposed to, you know, be the best they can. And, and actually, they, they passed the baton well, and, and they ended up getting first place, broke a 20-year record. See, and I, and I wonder, I share this because in, in regards to, to a day like family dedication, some of you are like, oh, man, I came on a down day. I shouldn't have been here because you don't have kids. You're thinking, I don't really care about someone else's kid. They're noisy. They slobber, like, neat, you know? Like, some of them are cute. Some of them aren't. That's truth. Let's be honest about that, guys, okay? Um, and, and, and you're just kind of like, what am I here for? And I think, I think what I like about this, this context is that most of us think about our lives, and we think about, like, what am I going to do? What is my calling? What is my purpose? And so we, we, we search out our life for, for meaning, and we try and find, okay, I will, if I work really hard, I'll, I'll build a retirement. None of us, we're, we're, we're holy enough to say that we're not doing it for retirement, but either way, we, we live our life as if we're going to get a great job, we're going to get all these things, we're going to send our kids to good college, and we're going to do all these things. But we forget that that's really not the purpose. In fact, a lot of us that don't even have kids, we're just assuming, like right now, we're so self-absorbed making our decisions of what am I supposed to do? And we, we look at our life and, and we, we pray for God's direction and there's nothing wrong with that, but we forget the very point of why we even exist, of why we breathe. See, the, the point is this, and the scripture that I'm going to go to in a second, the point is this, is that if this is, and Christine King called this the baton of faith, no matter what I do as a dad or as a husband or as a pastor, if I do it in vain of the generation behind me, I failed. No matter what I do is if I can't pass the gospel on, if I can't, if I can't send the gospel on to the next generation, then all I did is build my kingdom and not his. doesn't matter how good the cause is, doesn't matter how much work I do, but if I'm not in any way investing in a generation behind me so that those can carry on the faith 
to bring much glory to God, then I have, I have failed. And I think you and I get attacked by really good things that, that we forget that we think we're running without the baton. And on paper, we look good. On paper, we'd win the race by ourselves. On paper, it makes no sense. There should be nothing that gets in the way. But the problem is that we run this race and we end at the end of our life and we realize that we were kind of running alone. And this life was more about us and our glory than it truly was about God and his glory. So if you look at uh, uh, Hebrews 12, 1 with me, um, 1 and 2a, it says, therefore, since we, have, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, these cloud of witnesses were 16 different like pillars of faith that he just talked about in chapter 11. You're surrounded by them. Whether that's them watching you, or we don't, it's not to pray to saints or anything like that, but whether that's them watching you or how that works, we're surrounded. Either way, we know that there are these pillars of faith that went before us. And I am exactly who I am because of people that went before me. I am who I am because of people that, that handed that baton back to me, that said, hey, hey, run with me. Follow Jesus. Let's, let's, let's look at what this is supposed to look like. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance this race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And so he says it here and Paul says it and a bunch of other people talk about this life being a race and I think you and I get confused thinking that we're trying to make the best time for ourselves. We're trying to run this race so we win when it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so when you're here today and you're, you're talking about family dedications, those of you that don't have kids and you just think they're annoying or a nuisance and you, you kind of hear them cry and you're like, ah, oh, would you just put something in his mouth and make it be quiet? Like you have a role. You are not exempt from this baton of faith. So you, you, don't, you don't get to just say, well, I'm just gonna worry about my life right now. When I have kids... No, see, if you, if you call yourself a disciple of Christ, he's already said, look, you're a part of a family. And, and this family's burdens are yours. This family's joys are yours. You play a role in this. You don't get to sit on the sidelines and say things like, which I totally said, well, when I have a kid, I definitely won't do that. You know. Or condemn someone and the way they're parenting. You get to be a part of it. Because if we forget that there are people that went before us, we're going to forget that there's people behind us. And as parents, this is, this is so front and center in your life. As parents, all you see is these little kids that, that show the really ugly sides of you very easily. And, and, and yet you see these things where there's this, this immense joy that comes out and you have all these desires. And so as these parents come up today and they, they hold their cute little babies up here and we, we pray and we're like, oh, sweet. Don't forget that it's not just sweet, but there's a purpose. There's a purpose. There's a, there's a faith, there's a gospel that is being advanced. And you and I don't get so wrapped up in whatever cause or, or thing that we're supposed to be doing or our calling that we forget that if we, if we forget that we're running with someone or that we're gonna have an exchange at some point, that if we flop that exchange, then it wasn't, our, it wasn't his kingdom, it was ours. It can't just be about what we're doing now. 
Look, everyone wants to be a, on paper. You want to be a good family. We go to church every week. We, you know, we, we throw our 10%. We, you know, you've gone paper. You try and do everything that you can to look like a great family. And all that stuff is good. But if it's about any of those individual things, you've missed it again. Because the point, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make my little daughters into little clones of me. I'm trying to help them see Jesus as the center of their life. And if I neglect that in my life, they're going to see that. Each of us has a role in this. So family dedications are essentially parents pledging to raise their children in a Christ-centered house. And it's us as a community to come around them and say, we will embark on that with you. We will lock arms. We will join you in this cause. That means if you don't have kids, you babysit those of ours that have kids, okay? That means that if you don't have kids, you still can help serve in kids' ministry because it's invaluable th- to put, in, put life and energy of different people around them. That means that if you, your kids are gone, you don't go, Phew, I arrived. Good luck, suckers. No, you, you engage in helping those younger parents like us figure out how to move forward. No one is exempt from this. So we ask the parents to, to love and lead and, 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 and disciple their children. We ask all of us to come alongside of them and partner in that. There's really kind of three avenues to, to, to this baton of faith or this dedication. It's, it's control, command, and community. And where we get this is we get the story of dedication from Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. And the story's fantastic, but essentially Hannah is barren and she's, she's saddened by it and they, they go to the temple and she's just pleading with God for her to have a child. If you give me a child, God, this child will be fully yours. And she literally meant that. So God answers her prayer after a long time of of waiting and he gives her little Samuel and Samuel then is given when she weans him off she literally gives him to the temple and he serves there and she comes and visits him once a year and literally Samuel's job was to serve God in that way she dedicated him to that service and this is a sense parents saying look I dedicate this child to you and so what we're saying is first is the hard one is we're going to give up control and as parents this is really hard because we all have, I can't help it, I have a picture of what my girls are going to look like. Like they won't date until they're 30, you know, and they're going to, I have this whole preconceived notion of what they're going to do and how they're going to turn out, but, but that's control. And honestly, as a parent, I want to protect them and I want them to be safe, but really if you look at the call of Jesus, it's, it's die to yourself. He doesn't promise safety. And so the first avenue of, of parenting or, or dedication is literally stop living your life vicariously through your children. Give up control say, God, these children are yours to advance your kingdom, to make much of your gospel for your will to be done and not mine. And when that's hard is we realize that Jesus Jesus tells us as disciples that there's a cost to this. When it's hard is when he starts asking us questions, will you be able to trust me with your children? Even when they fail, even when it's hard or when they're struggling, or when, they, when I push them in a direction you're so uncomfortable with, will you really trust me? And so this is, this is in essence just a trusting. Uh, Jen Hatmaker is a, a blogger. She is, her husband and her, uh, they, they pastor church down in, in, in Austin. And she has a quote in talking about children. She says, genuine trust in Jesus is revealed by what we are willing to trust him with. What we are prepared to give up for him and to him. The greater the treasure offered, the truer the faith. And of all that God has given us to steward, the hardest to release fully back to him is our children, more than our money or our possessions or our gifts or our time. 
It's a demonstration of the highest level of trust. See, Jesus has a mission for your children. He has a mission for our kids. And, and it's my role as a parent, it's these parents' role, to, to, to relinquish that control to him, to still play the role that they're called to play, which, we, which is the second part, which is command, but to ultimately, like, the control isn't on us. Read the parenting books and, and work at parenting and do all that, but ultimately, you're not trying to control some outcome. You're, you're, you're trying to get them to surrender their life to Jesus. You want them to know die to self. You want them to live the gospel. So you're steadily working yourself out of a job so that when the exchange happens, you can hand it off and they can run this race with endurance, letting go of the sin that entangles them, slows them down, keeps them from running and advancing the gospel. Second reason why we do this is it's a command. This is, this is something that, that we're commanded to do with kids. It's, it's train up a child. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go so that even when he is old, he will not depart from it. There's this way that somehow we can, we can train our children that, in a way that they could understand the way that they're supposed to go, that when they're old, it will still be rooted and founded in them. And more and more what I realize, it's not my faith in who I am that, 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 that roots little Ava or Olivia's faith. It, it's, it's getting them the foundation of who Jesus is that roots them and gives a foundation that, that may be shaken at times but never crumbles. Second thing is in Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. That's a hard one because as a parent, I feel like there's a lot of times I'm not really diligently teaching them. I bring my kids to church and say, get your taught on. It's not even the right way to say that, just so you know. Get your taught on. And I tell them to get taught there and learn about Jesus there. But it's, it's, it's my role as a parent to diligently teach these kids the way they're supposed to go. And it's the church's job, it's all of you, to partner with me in that. So if I'm leading my children astray, the most loving thing you can do is point them back to the gospel and point me to the gospel. Which is the third part. And the reason why we do this is, is community. You hear this, it takes a village to raise a child. You, I think of this all the time. If, if we're truly living as a community, then it is, it is your and my job to raise the kids that God has blessed me with. If we're truly living as a community, then that means that, that none of us is exempt from this. If you call, if this, if this is your home, outside of small C Church Revolution 22, I'm saying big C Church, if you're a disciple of Jesus, it is your job as a community, to care for, to love, to correct, to train the generations behind us. Uh, Jen Hatmaker again says this, and I love how she says it. She says, if we are to love each other like Jesus loved us, then it makes practical sense to band together during young parenthood. Because like Jesus does, we'll end up loving each other when we're crazy, burned out, hysterical, and exhausted. We'll stand by one one, one another during the most neurotic phase of parenting there is. We won't let a member of our tribe slip under the radar to get swallowed up by isolation. We share the burden of parenting, making it lighter for everyone to carry. See, love is the glue that binds us together. And this whole, like, Lone Ranger Christian, I do it on my own, run up by myself because of past mistakes that other, other people have made, is not the way that God designed us. He designed us to be in community. He designed us that way. And so I am pleading with you guys as these families get ready to stand up here. When you pray for them, don't just pray and go, yeah, I hope that works out for you guys. 
Pray for your role in the next generation. Pray, like, pay attention to the fact that there are people behind you. Whether it's age or not, they're behind you in faith. And you're, you're, you're actively working at a way to exchange. You're actively working at a way to pass that baton on so that much of Jesus can be made glory and not my own individual life, not my own thing. So as we pray for the parents today and we, we dedicate these children, I hope, I hope that each of us would maybe understand that if nothing else, we've got to pay more attention to the fact that there is a generation behind us and, and although we can get excited about our cause or our, our calling or anything else, if we, if we lack the discernment of recognizing that even in that, God is still calling us to share the gospel, to advance his kingdom. If we, if we hold back on that, we have missed the point. We've missed the point because again, it is about him. It's about his kingdom coming here, not ours.